Hey, good morning, everybody. Happy Father's Day to you, all you papas out there. Thank you, thank you. I'm very, uh, very grateful to be here today. Just grateful in general. There's just a lot to be thankful for, amen. Um, you know, we had our, our big uh, festival party in, in Utah County last night, and so I'm a, little, I'm a little drowsy. I started saying some crazy things. That's We were up late partying uh, down in the UC. Good to see some of the UC faces over here. Give a shout out, all right? There we go. Um, getting, you know, they're, they're double righteous. They get charged twice in a weekend. Um, you know, I, I got a, a, a sermon tonight that is, um, you know, it, it's, it's one that is, it was tough to write, honestly, because it's a topic that's absolutely crucial and one that when you talk about, but, you know, I'm, I'm a bit of a goofy guy. I like to have fun. So it's, it's hard for me to tackle serious subjects sometimes. But this is one that really I couldn't be more uh, serious about. And, um, you know, in, in Utah County, uh, we actually this, this last weekend, we also celebrated our, our one year as a, as a plant, as a replant. And so it, we've been around for, for one year, going strong. Um, we, are, we are rolling in the UC. We got a, found, we got a great people and, and we got some, some impactors down there, I like to say. We got some world changers. And, and we spent the last year really just focusing on, on building a foundation. And, and now we're looking at how do we develop a culture? How do we develop um, who we are? When people see us, who, 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 how do they identify us? And, and um, I, I came with a series that we're going to be going through for about 10 weeks down there called The, the Good Church. And uh, Pastor Jody asked me to do kind of a brief overview today of, of what that, that series will look at. So you guys, you guys get about 10% of what this sermon series is going to be. But I think it's a good overview, and, and then we'll go into it. All you seers will go into it more every week for the next uh, rest of the summer. But let me first start off just with talking about the importance of culture, the importance of culture. And as Christians today, I, I think it's pretty common when you look around generally, you'll see us... Uh, we oppose a lot of things in the culture, which is good. We should oppose things that are in the culture, the, the secular culture for sure. When, when sin is celebrated, we, we should stand against that, not because of legalism, but because we know that sin leads to destruction and we want to see life and we want to see life lived abundantly. And, you know, you see us stand against oppression quite often, which is a beautiful thing when the, the voice of the body of Christ lifts for oppression. And um, but we also tend to be more weary of, of the outside culture. We tend to speak very loudly about the outside of the culture, where a lot of times we're pretty quiet about the culture that's inside the church. Have you guys noticed that? Sometimes when, when it comes to addressing things that are going on inside, we're, we're kind of like, ooh, we, we don't talk about that. And we, we like to cover things up a little bit. Some, and, and this is sometimes completely subconscious. Sometimes we just are like, you know, we, that's just one of those things we, we don't talk about. And I, I think it's time we talk about it. I think it's time as, as Christians, as people who, who call Jesus as Lord, that it's time we talk about culture in the church. And, and that's why this topic is so, you know, why I take it so seriously is because this is something that is, is crucial because every church has a culture. Every body of Christ, every church that you walk into, every, every people group that you meet has a culture. And, and uh, in my other job, I, I work for a company called Qualtrics, which basically measures how people have experiences. And, and my boss one day said something that really stuck with me. He says, culture is seen, not heard. 
culture is, is seen, not heard. You, know, you can talk to your blue in the face, but if people aren't living it, if it's not something that's really ingrained in who we are as a people, it's, it's not really a culture. It, this is something that just comes so naturally to us that when we live it, it's just who we are. Right? And we have all kinds of things in our, in our culture that we do, and, and we don't even think about it. Right? We, we just kind of do it. Like everyone celebrates the Denver Broncos as the best NFL team. It's just part of our culture. Okay, get out. Get out of here. Just kidding. But it, it's something that's seen in general terms, though. The culture of the global church is not necessarily seen in the best light, is it? If you, if you're already, if, if you kind of look at the, the way that our, our body of Christ is not necessarily here at the adventure, but just in general— Sometimes we, we kind of stink at the idea of, of how we can develop a culture of goodness. We're, we're, there's areas that we can definitely improve it. And, and don't get me wrong, there's going to be toxicity in every church because the humans make up the church and we have some toxic things. And in fact, we'll see the goodness church when the, the new Jerusalem comes into play, which you read Revelation, that'll be an exciting day. But there is a marker that we can look at. There is a type of, we can understand what goodness is and we can, we can shoot for a good church or a church built on goodness. And I love this quote. It says, as we live in our culture and also into our culture, our culture begins to live in and into us, which you know, we are formed by our culture, right? People are, are formed by the culture around them. And a good culture will shape us towards goodness and a toxic culture will shape us toward evil. You know, and one of the biggest evils right now that is prevalent in a lot of our churches, especially in, in the United States, is we are toxic in a lot of ways how we handle things like abuse. Told you it's getting real. We are terrible at how to handle this. This room got real quiet real fast. But it's true. We have, in a lot of ways, a culture that is toxic in this area. In fact, if you look at the numbers, this is absolutely heartbreaking. So there's a survey done in 2015. This was the first ever survey done uh, by, of, of abused victims of the church. These are people who were in the church and abused in the church. They, had, they found 280 people to respond. Only 8% of those said they were supported, that the church supported them after this abuse occurred. 8%, that's 22 out of 280 people. 50% said the abuse strongly affected their relationship with God. It's half of them were saying, I don't know if I can trust God anymore. 80% of them said their experience with the church negatively affected their spiritual life. It means I don't want to talk to God anymore. I don't, I don't want to fellowship with people anymore. And guys, this is, this is absolutely unacceptable, Right? This is something that should never be what we are affiliated with and call ourselves followers of Jesus. And this is the facts. This is something we need to talk about. Don't you agree? Yeah. That we need to talk about this because this is, this, is, this is a cultural issue. This is something in the church that we have kind of just quietly let go and, and let it be a part of who we are. And everyone here, including the leadership, myself, everyone is having to look in the mirror here a little bit and go, what is the culture that we are developing as a people? This is for every single one of us. Because this is what many in our communities are seeing. Right? Many in our, are outside of the church, they're seeing this as this is who 
people who follow Jesus are like. They ostracize those who are abused. They, ca- they, they cast them out. They don't listen to them. The culture has perceived us to be seen in these situations as people who cover up and, and, and deny the dying, deny the, the plausibility of what's going on. I think we can all think of uh, situations recently that have come up in, in the world today of Christians covering and, and denying actual abuse. The abusers are hearing things like, we won't listen to you, we won't support you, and we won't fight for you. In church, this is, this is why this is such a serious topic and why we must focus. This is why the, I'm taking our UC guys and gals through this, because we must develop a culture that says that we won't deny and deny and deny, that we won't cover up, that we will listen, that we will support, and that we will fight for you. And I want you guys to repeat after me on this, is, is this idea of covering up and not listening, not supporting, not, and not fighting this 8% even that was not supported. Let, say this with me, not in our church. Not in our church. Because culture takes everyone to be all in. This is not something that just leadership needs to focus on. If, if you're sitting here thinking, well, the pastors need to do a better job, it's probably true to a degree. But it's also something that every single person has to be all in. If, if the culture is to be this, that means every single one of us has to be this. It's not just a few, because if we are one body, it has to function as one body. In fact, Jesus understood this concept very well when it comes to culture and, and that we are to be a people of light. And in Matthew 6, to 23, he says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? So if you use the eye as an analogy for the church's culture, this provides light for the whole church, doesn't it? If we are seeking goodness, if light is the culture to which we are foundationalized, the whole church will be exposed to light. If the eye, again, representing culture is unhealthy, the whole church culture will be filled with light. If our church's eye is unhealthy, the whole church culture will be filled with darkness. I've seen this. We have all can think of probably examples of this happening When our church is filled with light, the life of the church is radiant. I want to be a part of a radiant church, don't you? I want to be known as a church that just beams with light when people walk in. It's not something that's just taught from the pulpit or in our our, our classes, but it's something that people observe and see and go, wow, there is a light that is a part of these people. Culture matters because the light of that culture pervades. And the light of that culture pervades. What we give off, what we, what we are exposing into the world is, is pervasive. And unfortunately, many of our cultures and our churches have been more darkness than good. This is why we need to talk about this. So now that we have culture kind of defined, let me talk about goodness. What is good? What does that mean? We, we sing about it like we just did. Ira gave a good example of how God is good and, and never failing. The term good actually occurs 700 times in the Bible, so this should probably be something we should know. 
right? We should probably understand. If, the, if God says this 700 times, we should probably get it down. Amos 5, 14 through 15 says, Seek good, not evil, that you may live. Then the Lord God Almighty will be with you, just as you say he is. Hate evil, love good, maintain justice in the courts. Seek good, love good, maintain justice. Is this something that our churches are known by? Is this something that we are known by? So what is biblically good? And I have a few examples here of what is biblically good. The first one, the foundational one, is that God alone is good. God alone is good. Even when the church is not good, even when we are not good, God alone is good. Psalm 119.68 says, You are good and do only good. Salvation is a great example of this, isn't it? God pursued us tenaciously so that we could have the goodness found in him. He understands the darkness. He understands the wickedness. He understands the evil. So much so that he came to die so that we could have the goodness in him. Psalm 34.8 says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Psalm 73, how good it is to be near to God, how good it is to, to be close to him, to, to not have a, a barrier between us and him. So God alone is good. The second one is God's design is good. I mean, you guys think what God creates is good. Some good stuff out there, isn't there? What God created is visually pleasing and pleasant what is desirable, what is of high quality, and what is excellent. And that's just my wife. Imagine what else is out there. Just kidding. Just kidding. But the Garden of Eden, I mean, think of that for example. right? Think of the goodness that was originally created, that, that we were originally created in relationship, in closeness with God, to steward the all of creation. That was something that God said was very good, that this is good. That's what our destiny comes to within the future is this return to the Eden, something I'm really looking forward to. So when we live according to God's design, the greatest thing is that we are people who love. When we live according to God's design, we are people of love. There was a a story in in the New Testament where an expert in the law, one of the the great theologians, the Jewish theologians of his time, he he comes to Jesus and he goes, how do we receive God's approval? Mr. Rabbi, how do we achieve God's approval? And you guys remember what his response was? Love God and love others. How do we seek approval? We love God and we love others. This was his design. This was his design, and it is good. God's design for his people is to develop both a character of love, character of love, are you characterized? Do people know us as love? Which then relates to a behavior of love. It, It brings out an application. It brings out change. It brings out action of love for God and for others. So if we're talking about a good church, we're talking about being the goodness of God in church, it starts with loving God, and loving others, because this is his design. The great theologian went to Jesus and said, how do I see God's approval? He says, love God and love people. This is good. You're going to hear that word a lot. 
Number three is goodness is practiced. Goodness is practiced. Good is something that is visibly seen, right? Like I can, I can see things and go, boy, that's good. You know, when I come in sometimes and I'll see Jesus feeds working, I'll be like, that's good. That's a good thing. I see people worshiping and I can look and go, ah, oh, that's good. That's good. I love when people worship the Lord. In fact, Peter even mentions the, about Jesus' ministry in Acts 10, 38. He says, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth, the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. So if we are to, to act out and practice goodness, we are going to actually imitate our Lord. You know, when it talks about Jesus asking people to follow him, it's not just this idea of, of walking behind him and just kind of being behind him. It's, in the Jewishness of it, it's really this idea of, of, of imitating him. So if like he takes a step, you take the same step. And you take the right step. You put his hand up, he puts his hand up. And if following me is not just walking behind him, but it's actually imitating him. So if we're going to be people of, of practicing goodness, we're going to do good things the same way Jesus does, isn't it? And this is where it all starts, because Jesus just didn't do good. He is good, right? Another title for him is he is a good shepherd. We can be shepherded by goodness. Because the Lord transforms us into goodness when we follow him. Right? When, if we're imitating Christ and we're walking with him in this type of imitation movement, our lives are going to be transformed. We will change from the inside out. You don't spend time with somebody enough and not start to look like them, right? I'm only funny because I spent so much time with my wife. She's hilarious. People can attest to this, right? And so when we spend time, when we're near, we start to apply those things that we're close to. And so when we're close to the Lord, the transformation starts to begin. And goodness cultures are developed when individuals develop from the inside out consistently, that's the key, consistently doing what is right and generous. Jesus can be followed just for, you know, you can follow him for a week and then be like, you know, this is too hard. What I'm talking about is consistently, a culture needs to be consistently done in doing what is right and generous as we imitate Christ. It is a lifelong devotion and surrendering to a life of practice. Paul kind of notes this as well in Romans 13, 8 and 10. He says, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. He's, he's talking to the church here. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. And you want to appease God? Love others. Love your neighbor as yourself, he says. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Love is the fulfillment of the law. The fourth one is goodness resists evil. Goodness resists evil. 1 Peter 2, 15 through 16 says, For it is God's will, that's important, we should probably listen to the next part, that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves, is, is doulos, which often translated as servant as well. Goodness is walking in the spirit. So doing good requires resisting the flesh. Requires resisting those things that are evil. 
because God, goodness sits in opposition to evil. You know, the, the word for good in, in Hebrew is the word tov. It's a fun word to say, tov. You might hear that, you kind of hear it in mazel tov when you go to a Jewish wedding. Tov. And the evil is the word raw. It just sounds like a bad word, right? Like raw, evil. And God sits in opposition to raw. In fact, in the garden, God placed the tree of knowledge of good and the knowledge of raw, of bad, of evil. The spirit leads us to what God desires. Our flesh leads us to what God dislikes. So we are constantly living in a place of resistance. And sometimes the flesh is pretty powerful, isn't it? It's easy to become complacent. It's easy to to do the things that God dislikes. But if we are to be a people of goodness, a church identified in our culture as goodness, is that we must also be marked as people who resist evil. By people who are fighters, in a way. I hope you look at your life as, a, as someone who's a fighter. You know, because I'm kind of, I'm kind of, it's hard to talk to Christians when they're they kind of, they're, they're like punching bags almost to the, to the devil, right? They're just kind of, they're beat up. And I'm like, man, if, if you knew who lived inside of you, you wouldn't think that way. You just got to learn how to fight, right? Resistance is, is a key indicator of goodness in the church. We must by any means resist what is evil. Proverbs 14, says, if you plan to do evil, you will be lost. If you plan to do evil, you will be lost. If you plan to do good, you will receive unfailing love and faithfulness. Let us be a people who plan to do good. For we want to receive the unfailing love and faithfulness, right? Let's not be people who embrace evil. Even when it's hidden and we don't quite see it. Okay, so now that I've defined goodness, let me talk a little bit about the characteristics of a church that pursues goodness. Okay, so I can't go into all of these, but in the UC, we'll do those. We're going to go through these every single week. But I picked three that I feel like are, are good ones to hit on today. But let me just list off these characteristics of a church that pursues goodness. The first one is good churches nurture empathy. Good churches nurture empathy. A tove church nurtures empathy. Good churches value women voices. Good churches nurture grace. Good churches nurture a people-first culture. Good churches nurture truth. Good churches nurture justice. Good churches nurture service. And good churches nurture Christ-likeness. So I wish I could go through all those today with you, but you can come down and see us in the UC if you want. You can get a part of that. But let me talk briefly just about three of these and ones that I feel like were, were something that um, I feel like I need to talk on the most today. So the first one is good churches nurture empathy. Good churches that are living in, in biblical goodness, they nurture empathy. And empathy is the ability to feel what someone else feels to exit our own feelings and enter the experience of others. The characteristics of, of a good church are people who can meet people where they are, who aren't expecting them to, to be 10 steps ahead, but to can really meet people in their brokenness. Good churches develop a culture where they hear the cries and all that are in distress, all the wounded, and respond with compassion. 
We must have empathy radar in a way. Always aware of where people are at. This is an act of grace. This is an act of peace. This is an act of mercy. This is an act of surrendering. This is, this is an act of goodness for everyone, right? And again, in fact, this is one of the key characteristics of Jesus. He was very empathetic. In fact, in the, in, in the New Testament, he walks into a synagogue, not the start of a joke. He walks into a synagogue and he rolls up the, this, the scroll of Isaiah. You guys probably know this story. And he reads from Isaiah 61 and he says that today this, this word has been fulfilled. And this is what he read. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. Good news to those who are lowest in society. That, that takes a lot of empathy, doesn't it? To, to go to the lowest of low, the people who can't give anything back and say, you are now going to inherit the kingdom of God. He was sent to proclaim release to the captives. He went to those who were oppressed, those who were, where sin was so powerfully marked in their life that he went to them. He didn't cast them out. He went to them with compassion and empathy. And recovery of sight to the blind, the blind were often cursed in his society, the people that, that either they must have sinned, they must have done something wrong to deserve this. He says, no, I, I went to them and gave them sight to see I healed them. And he let the oppressed go free. He, he released those bound up in captivity. Again, the people that we might cast out as, as them dirty sinners, he went and showed compassion to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That takes a great deal of empathy, doesn't it? To meet somebody where they're at. It takes a great deal of compassion to meet somebody where they're at. And that's something that needs to be marked in our churches. It's not as people who are, are trying to get people 10 steps ahead of where they should be, but are people who are compassionate and empathetic, knowing where they are and meeting them where they are on an emotional level. The second one is, is good churches value women voices. This is one that's very dear to my heart, if you know me. First off, if, if you don't, you know, agree with women pastors, it's a, you know, I know it's a confrontational issue. I just invite you to come have coffee with me so I can tell you you're wrong and we'll have a good conversation. Just kidding. But you are invited to have coffee with me. I will, I will give you a hermeneutical lesson. But often in our churches, women who are seeking to exercise their gifts in the church, including things like pastoral giftings, are hindered based on their gender alone, aren't they? We have, we have big voices in the Christian world that are very loud in hindering half of the body of Christ in exercising their gifts. This is not a characteristic of a Tove church. This attitude has driven women out of the church and it's actually placed a lot of them in the marketplace where their gifts are flourishing. I, I serve under many women leaders, and they are probably the best bosses I've ever had. And when we have a culture that silences women, what happens when a woman approaches us and says something has happened to them in the church? They are likely silenced. That's what it's showing, the statistics are showing us here. In many churches, the voices of women are undervalued or completely silenced, right? It's true. In many of our, our churches today, the voices of women are undervalued or silenced completely due to, again, bad interpretations of a text. How do we develop a culture then that is developed to equipping and value women 
voices in the church? How do we do that? Well, the first one I think we do is we teach and know the names and stories of women in the Bible. We need to teach and know these names of these women for thousands and thousands of years that God has used their voices powerfully. You guys ever heard of Deborah? Raise your hand if you know Deborah. All right, she's, she's a famous one, good. What about Huldah? Huldah the prophetess? All right, there's a few of you. There's countless more. Deborah was a judge. I mean, she was a leader of all Israel and she was a good one, a very good one. Huldah was a prophetess. Kings would send the people to her to ask, what is God saying about these things? We need to talk about that more. We need to know these names. We need to see that God has been doing this from the very beginning. We also need to know the names and stories of women in church history. Because I can't tell many times I'll see something posted or talk to somebody who says, oh, women didn't start speaking until like 1965 in churches. And I'm like, are you kidding me? They've never stopped speaking in churches. Just kidding. Told you, I'm goofy. I'm sorry. But we need to know these names and stories of women in church history. Right? How many of you have heard of Macrina? You guys ever heard of Macrina? All right, there's somebody. It's the first person I ever heard of no, no Macrina. Well, Macrina was a, a sister to some of the, the big theologians in the early, early, early church. But her brothers actually championed her as, as an even brilliant theologian than they were. That she understood the word much better than a lot of their contemporaries. In fact, she was also a church planner. She started churches. How many of you know we need women who are starting churches? We need more of you. Go start more churches. They did it. She dedicated her life to prayer, study, and sharing the gospel. I want our daughters and our sisters in the body to know people like Macrina, to have examples like Macrina, because when they do, they see a value of their voice. They see that God doesn't want them to be silent, but he wants them to have voices that are impactful. And our culture must be nurturing to that. Our culture must be nurturing and equipping of the women voices as well as male voices. But the women voices tend to be more oppressed. And we have to oppose oppression, right? We have to resist that evil. And the third one here, and the last one I'll share with you today is good churches nurture truth. Good churches nurture truth. Again, one of the favorite words in the New Testament writers is this idea of truth. And you know, we see that Jesus is the truth in John 14, 6, right? Jesus is the truth. We see in 1 Timothy that by the truth, we are saved, right? We, we are saved by truth. So 1 Timothy 3.15 even says this, this is the church of the living God. This, this is who we are as a people, as Paul is saying, which is the pillar and foundation of the truth. Is our culture honoring of a pillar and foundation of truth? Does the world look at us and go, boy, what they're saying is actually reality. Their lives reflect what is reality, that God is good, that sin is bad, and that there's grace and mercy found in him. I'll let you sit on that one. You can think about it yourself. Because we serve a God who is truth. We walk in the truth. So we are opposed to anything that is untruthful, right? That, that makes sense. 
In good churches, there is no place for lying. There is no place for deceit. There is no place for cover-up. There's no place for suppression. There's no place for gaslighting. There's no place for spinning of truth. Because those are all toxic. Those things destroy churches. They split churches. They destroy lives. They hinder what God wants to do. So we must be a place that nurtures and encourages truth. How many millennials we have in the house? Got a few of you? All right. Represent. All right. But we, as millennials, we, we crave transparency. We crave environments of truth. I think that we have a bit of a PTSD in our world and from the church because of this kind of covering up and suppression of truth in some instances. We crave transparency. We crave accountability. We crave all of that that will expose toxic cultures. Because we all mess up, right? We're, we all make a lot of mistakes. I know I do. I can speak for myself. I can't speak for you. But I know I make a lot of mistakes. And, and if we are a place that nurtures truth, we know that there is forgiveness when we sin. That it doesn't have to be covered up. Doesn't it have to be suppressed? Doesn't it have to be spun to kind of try to make us look better than it is, right? That when we are a nurturing culture of truth, that there is forgiveness for everyone, including ourselves. And that's something that must be transparency and transparent and quickly on our sleeves to be a place of forgiveness. Because telling the truth really is who we are as Christians. Even when it's hard truth, we still have to do it. Even when we're stuck in kind of a corner and we look real bad, we still have to say truth for things, right? So we know the truth. We must study and seek truth, right? We can't be living truth if we don't know what truth is, right? We have to know and study the life of Jesus. We have to seek him. And then we are doing truth. We, we are actively participating in truth. Do we live and have a culture that understands that the gospel is how people are saved? That people have to hear the gospel in order to receive the gospel. Right? I think a lot of times cultures and churches were kind of a bit too like, well, we'll share the gospel when we want to. But it's really like that person is dying. Are you going to share the life-giving truth that is the gospel? That is, a, that is a good culture that is seen as the, like the gospel is an imperative and a non-negotiable in actively participating in. Are we surrendered to truth? Will, will we actually submit to truth? Because I'll tell you, a lot of the, the, the predicaments that we as churches gets into is when we realize that truth doesn't really pertain to me. That somehow I don't have to live above what is true. That's how a lot of leaders have gotten in a lot of trouble when they think truth doesn't pertain to them anymore or they're too high above it. And God is bringing a reckoning, I think, in a lot of churches. We must all be surrendered to truth. When we make a mistake, when we sin against somebody, we will own up to it. We will seek reconciliation. We will be a culture of forgiveness and reconciliation, amen? And then we resist false narratives, and fight anything that is untruthful. We don't shy away from, from these things. We, we don't try to cover up things or, or try to put out false narratives or, or untruthful claims. We stand and go, yeah, 
this is really hard, this is really difficult, or yeah, I did that, and we own up to it. How I many of you go, that, that's actually a really liberating thing to do when you don't have to try to cover it up, suppress it, or try to kind of undermine it in some way or another. A culture that does that is a safe place to come to, right? A safe place to go to is knowing, like, I can come to with all of my garbage and talk about it, and people are going to be like, cool, I love you, bro. Forgive you. Hug it out. Give me a holy kiss. Just kidding. Don't do that. So without a culture of truth, we can become deceived and we begin to follow personas instead of facts. Without a culture of truth, we become deceived because we are starting to pursue personas. And that's why we get in so much trouble as churches today is we start to follow pastors and leaders and and things like that without really realizing that we need to pursue facts. I mean, you guys know that's important. Absolutely crucial. And then I'll end with this part here. As we embrace the truth, as we embrace the truth, the spirit turns us into a committed band of truth tellers who seek justice. As we embrace the truth, right? We're not afraid of it. We welcome it. We want it. We crave it. When we do that, I love this this wording, committed band. This, This is a people group that are then committed to seeking truth for everybody. Right? Isn't that something? Man? Now, now put that into the context of that, that example I used with abuse victims. What if we as a people stood up and said, no, we're going to be embracing and committed to truth in all these situations. Do you think that 8% would feel ostracized anymore? I don't think so. I think the abuser would be in big trouble. Because as a pastor, okay, cutting onions, oh boy. There is nothing more heartbreaking when I have to look somebody in the eye who's been abused by the church. Knowing what the church is and what we're called to do, we just, we have to do better. We as a people, we're fighting for something bigger than ourselves, guys. Because there's a lot of wolves. There's a lot of wolves, and it's not just pastors that, that, that fight them off. It takes a culture of people surrendered to truth, surrendered to Jesus as Lord, to create this. I can preach till blue in the face, but we have to embrace this. Think of those 22 people out of 280 that were actually supported. This is why this is so important. Because we need to be that committed band, the committed band of truth tellers who seek justice for those who cannot get it themselves. I don't know about you, but when I'm finished my race here, 
want people to, and I want the Lord more importantly to say, your life was filled with truth and justice for those who were oppressed, for those who were abused, for those who were lowly and had nothing or outcasts. You know, this, this state is completely traumatized with the idea of church. You guys know that. Thousands of people in this state have been abused by what they call a church. And I think it's time that they see a Tove church. That they see a church that raises up goodness from a biblical foundation. A church that empowers justice and empathy and truth and women and, and all that encompasses the characteristics of a good church. Can we be that church? Can we be that church that seeks truth? Can we be that body of Christ that seeks justice for those who can't get it? Who opposes things like oppression? If you're with me, let's just stand. If you're willing to to make the sacrifices of being a good church, to lay down your life for the sake of goodness because of the person sitting next to you, because you don't know what they've been through. You don't know the things that have happened to them, even by the church itself. And again, as a pastor, I am so sorry. Have you been abused by the church? If people you've trusted, as people you've looked to as godly, have taken advantage of you as a pastor, and I know my sorry doesn't mean much, but I'm really sorry. From the bottom of my heart, I am so sorry. As someone who represents that type of position, and I hope you know that the pastors here, I think I speak for all of us, that we will fight for you that we will listen to you, that we value you, and we will empower you. With every breath in my lungs, I promise you that. I'm, I know I'm being a little bit dramatic, but I really feel this way. Will you pray with me? Father God, Lord, first off, I pray that you forgive us of the toxicity that we have brought into the church. Lord, forgive us of of the times when we were not acting out of goodness. That we were not a characteristic of love. That we were not a characteristic of truth. Lord, we want to. We desire what you desire. We want to be a people who encompass what it means to be good. So Lord, we turn from our toxicity. We turn from our selfishness and our behaviors that bring hurt, that bring death, that bring destruction in the body of Christ. Lord, we lay down our lives as a living sacrifice, as a worship to you. Lord, that we want to live in a culture of goodness. We want to be representatives of you as we follow you. Help us to imitate you, Lord. 
Help us to walk like you walk. Help us to think like you think. And Lord, I pray you bring healing for those who are abused. That they are not that event. That they are a new creation in you. Lord, I pray you draw them to the adventure. I pray you draw those who are weighed down by abuse, by people they thought were godly. That you draw them in, but that they will be healed. That they will be equipped and empowered and released into a new life of freedom. Freedom that is found in you, but it's not a freedom to be wasted. It is a freedom that is to be spent every minute and every hour devoted to you, to loving you, and to loving others. Lord, work a miracle, I pray, in the hearts of those who are going through it right now. In their minds, renew it, cleanse it, remind them of who you are, Remind them that you are good. And Lord, I pray for those who who have never got to experience your goodness. Lord, I I want them to know you. As I know you, Lord, the, the things that you have done, you can do it in their lives. That you can break the heart in a good way. That grows dependency on you not on the things of the world, not on relationships, but on you. That that we will build out of that a body of Christ that is dependent on you, but loves being in relationship with each other. That loves being in fellowship with one another. That, er, That yearns to be together. So Father, I pray you bless this group tonight. I pray that you will stretch them and challenge them and convict them and turn them to change. That the Adventure Church will be a people of goodness. A people who live out what all that means in Tov. So Lord, thank you. Thank you for what you're doing now in people's hearts. Thank you for the healing and the redemption that is being done right now in this room. In your glorious name, the people said, amen, amen. All right, so we have a Father's Day festival outside. Go have fun, get dunked. Go dunk, Ira. But God bless you. I love you. If you need prayer, please let us know. We're here for you.